That was beautiful. I can sit down, right? <laughs> that was really beautiful. Let us pray. God, join our hearts and our hands and our thoughts. Just, just connect them to you right now. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be holy and acceptable to you. And God, bring us faithfully to you. Amen. Anybody know what this is? An orange? Yeah. Anybody know how to peel it? All right, I'm going to try. You know, you never know with an orange. Sometimes they're really easy to peel, and sometimes they're a little harder to peel, aren't they? So with an unpeeled orange, um, one with the peeling still on it, right, you can do a lot of things with it. You can put it in a fruit basket, and it's really pretty. You can, if you're Sue Delary, you can grate some of the orange peel and make really good cupcakes. You know, they have that orange peel and the icing. Mm. You can do that. Sometimes you can juggle, right? I, I love to juggle things, not oranges, <laughs> but I juggle a lot. We all do. Um, you know, but if you really want to get to the true purpose of an orange, you have to peel it back, right? You have to peel the layers, and then you have to keep peeling. And sometimes it's hard, and sometimes it just comes right off. And sometimes part of that peeling just kind of sticks right to the orange. And then you have to sort of peel it off, even the, even the sticky stuff, right? You know, people are like oranges. We have to peel back the layers to see who God really wants us to be and who God calls us to be. And to be the best version of ourselves, we have to peel back the layers and dig really deep inside to know who God is calling us to be. Last week, we remembered and we talked about the Greek word for poem is poema. And we learned that you, we, are God's poem. It's not always obvious what our poems say sometimes until we can get inside and begin to know who God is calling us to be. And in order for us to be a beautiful which we are, we have to know who God's, what God's design is for us and how to be God's masterpiece. In the book of Jeremiah, Jeremiah was a young prophet who spoke the words of God. His task was daunting as Jeremiah was trying to tell the people of Israel that you have lost your way. You're trying to be somebody that you're not, Israel. And God's faithfulness keeps calling them back to the nation that God wanted them to be. Last week, 
let's read from Jeremiah. Let's hear the words that God is saying through Jeremiah to the nation of Israel. And every time you think that he's talking to Israel, remember that he's talking to us as well. So Jeremiah says, quotes God, you might say, your wrongdoing will punish you. Your acts of unfaithfulness will find you out. Don't you understand how terribly bitter it is to abandon the Lord your God and not fear me, declares the Lord of heavenly forces. I mean, he's saying that, you know, you've turned to everything else. You've abandoned me. You don't fear me anymore. You don't, I mean, I can just hear God just being in anguish over what Israel does. He, Jeremiah continues, Long ago I broke your yoke, I shattered your chains, but even then you said, I won't serve you. So Jeremiah is asking Israel to remember their time in bondage and to remember that, hey, I set you free, and now look at you, you're still not serving me. Where are the gods you have made for yourselves? Oh, that's a challenge, isn't it? Do we have any gods that we serve other than God with the big G? Let's see if they'll come through for you in your time of trouble. You have as many gods, Judah, as you have towns. Return, unfaithful Israel, declares the Lord. I won't reject you, for I am faithful, declares the Lord. I won't stay angry forever. How many of you like to read? Anybody like to read really good novels? Okay, this is one of my favorite novels. It's called Redeeming Love, written by Francine Rivers, who is a Christian writer. And this particular novel takes place in 1850 in California's gold country. It's a time when men sold their souls for a bag of gold and women sold their bodies for a place to sleep. An angel, who is the main character, expects nothing from men but betrayal. She was sold into prostitution as a child, and she survives by keeping her hatred alive. And what she hates most are the men who use her, leaving her empty and dead inside. And then Angel meets Michael Hosea, a man who seeks the Father's heart in everything, right? Michael obeys God's call to marry Angel and to love her unconditionally. And the thing is, every day that goes by, almost every page in this novel, Angel is resisting her husband's love. And she takes everything she has and runs to the far corners of her world in resistance to his love. This is a beautiful story that, uh, that um, parallels the book of Hosea. That's what it was written on. And Hosea speaks of God's faithfulness and of angels' unfaithfulness, representing an allegory of our own lives and of Israel's life in that God is faithful no matter how unfaithful we are. 
Jeremiah 2 and 3 are filled with emotional outbursts, strong language that when read, it grates against our ears whenever we hear it read. And like all wounded lovers, we see God in Jeremiah's book caught between anguish and anger, longing and loathing, and hope and hate. But the, but the thing about God is that he always is faithful. God always calls us to him no matter how far off track we get from God. He keeps coming back to us. And he keeps calling us to be the people that we are designed to be. But for this relationship to be renewed and for Israel to become the people that they and we are to become the people that we are designed to be, this can't happen without a breakdown of sorts. And it's the breakdown that makes the breakthrough possible. If you return, Israel, return to me, declares the Lord. If you get rid of your disgusting idols from my presence and wonder no more, and if you swear by the living God in truth and justice and righteousness, then the nations will enjoy God's blessings and they will boast about him. This is what the Lord says to the people of Judah and to the residents of Jerusalem. Break up your hard, rocky soil. Don't plant among the thorns. Dedicate yourselves to the Lord. Don't be thick-skinned, people of Judah and residents of Jerusalem, or else my anger will spread like wildfire. You see the back and forth? It will burn with no one to put it out because of your evil deeds. So if God's people are going to return to the best version of themselves, some things need to happen. He tells us to break up the hard, rocky soil of our lives. How many of us have hard, rocky soil inside of us that we don't want anybody to see? We don't any, want anybody to know who we are. We don't want anybody to see our struggles. We think we're okay. We tell people we're okay, but we're not. Anybody there? Oh, that's some hard, rocky soil inside of us, isn't it? I remember when I used to follow my grandfather along behind a mule and a plow. And I remember first looking at that beautiful, unplowed field. And it was just that. It was crusty, rocky soil. But once the plow went through, once the mule stepped on it, oh, it turned into such a rich soil as that soil, as the ground, as the dirt was turned over. I would always be found way behind Papa. I'd be, I just, once that soil was turned, I'd just like to sit down there and play in the dirt because it was fun dirt to play in. It was beautiful, and it was rich, and it was awesome. Ah, don't be thick-skinned. How many of us are thick-skinned? Are you stubborn? Anybody stubborn? <laughs> no. And anybody married to a stubborn person? <laughs> Maybe I answer that. <laughs> Let's go there. Um, so, yeah, don't be thick-skinned. You see, this orange has a pretty thick skin on it. 
But when we pull back that thick skin, there's this rich, succulent stuff inside that we like to eat that tastes so good. That's like us, isn't it? We are thick-skinned. We are stubborn. Sometimes we're mean. We're cross. We're angry. We're hangry. But below that, there's this poem waiting to be written and read. There's something inside of us that God wants us to be that is not thick-skinned, but rather vulnerable. Break up your hard, rocky soil. Don't be thick-skinned. Plowed your unplowed hearts. Let your vulnerabilities rise to the surface. One of my devotions this week defined the word vulnerable. It means that I will let you see me, and I'm going to be open. I'm going to open myself to being hurt by you. Vulnerability means that I will not allow my weaknesses to be seen. I will expose myself potentially being made weaker. And then she goes on to say that perhaps we can all relate, something that we can all relate to, we're not too good at sharing that kind of openness. In other words, more along the words and metaphors that God might tell Jeremiah to tell Israel, the places that have become rocky and calloused and hardened, need to be plowed up, turned over, and given a fresh light. Secondly, when we are peeled, those things that we peel will expose the root of who we are. So we got to break it up in order for God to have a breakthrough. We have to just confess who we are to God so that he can come in and be faithful to us. If you'll remember last week, we talked about the five ways, the five versions of our messed up selves that we live into every once in a while. I like to remind us of those. The expectations of others. The me that others want me to be. Much of our lives is lived to suit the expectations of others. And instead of living into what God wants us to be, we just chase what everybody else wants us to be. Anybody a people pleaser? I'm with you. So, yeah. So those expectations of others, we need to drop. We need to examine and we need to call forth so that we can learn that the person or the God that we need to build our expectations toward is the God that is calling us to be our true selves. The, Im the imitation of success, the me that I think I want to be. Wow, anybody have somebody, I want to be this person, I want to be this person, I want to be that, I want to, no, God's saying stop. I created you to be exactly who I want you to be, You're the version of your best self that you can be, and that's all that matters. What about the imitation of success and the, no, sorry, the infatuation of money, the me that they pay me to be? 
if you don't become who you are created to be, it's easy to be whatever people pay you to be. It isn't hard for the lure of the almighty dollar to be the primary influence of who we're supposed to be, and, and we're supposed to do that. So that and, and when we do that, it becomes a generic version of ourselves. So forget what money's calling you to be and just be who God wants you to be. The preoccupation of life, the me time that makes me me. I was listening to Matthew Kelly, who was a Catholic priest. He said, busyness is not your friend. Being busy makes us something into, makes us, I'm sorry, being busy makes us into something that we're not. Caught in the hustle and bustle of everyday life, the hurry takes its toll on us and we become a product instead of living every moment and being mindful of the moment. Be who God's asking you to be. The projection of self, the me I want to be. Many people, maybe all of us, are unsure that the person we really are is worth much. We're not sure that our true selves are good enough for people's approval, so we spend our lives cultivating an image of ourselves that we hope will gain other people's admiration and affection, only to lose ourselves in the process. All of these things we need to drop and sort out and peel back so that we can become who God wants us to be. When we are content with a lesser God... We are content with a lesser self. Let that sink in because if we're trying to be all these things that we're not, we're not fulfilling the design and the purpose and writing the poem that God has for us to write. A lesser God is only concerned with success or appearances but God loves us more than that, and God does not leave us with a surface relationship. God wants more. God so intimately is involved in our lives that he gives us a calling, a call to be you. And in our faithlessness, we will find God to be faithful. Discovering this call requires three things. It requires listening to God. That means you have to seek God in the day. You have to seek God in the morning. You have to be mindful of God. We have to be mindful of God through the day. God's presence is there with us. So discovering the call that's within you, the person that's within you, it also requires listening to our inner selves. What is your inner soul saying to you? And it requires listening to the lives around us so that we can reject what's around us unless it lines up with who God wants us to be. This saint, our nation's, has a quote that says, the glory of God is humanity fully alive. 
the glory of God shines the most brightly in our lives, in your lives, when you can drop the pretenses, examine what's on the inside, read the poem that God is creating inside of you, and let the words and the meditations of your heart and the holiness that is mixed in with the mess rise up so that God's poem inside of you can help you be the best version of you that God wants you to be. What ground is God asking us to break up and to plow down? And what poem needs to surface? What words are there? What actions are there? What feelings are there that God wants to bring out? For you to be the best you you can be. During this Lenten season, think about that. Think about all those expectations, all those things that we need to really let go in order to be the me that God created you to be. That's the glory of God that is fully alive. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, God's people said.